0: Mindfulness Mode 380. Well, he came down and started
1: yelling and screaming. And I said, forget it, man. Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of the podcast. Great to have you here, Mindful Tribe. If you're new, this is your first time. We're very honored to have you listening. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to offer you a way to release any feelings of overwhelm you might be experiencing or or you can share this with someone else who may be going through a rough stretch right now it's a guided meditation that can help you abandon your inner blocks and surrender your stress you'll become more focused and it'll help you raise your personal level of contentment i'm completely convinced that you'll achieve more and you'll have an increased level of concentration as a result of listening to this full length 30 minute guided meditation it's been created by me your host Bruce Langford the cost is $4.99 and you can get it right away at mindfulnessmode.com/release Now on with today's interview and as you might remember if you've been listening for a while I was in Georgia speaking at the Zen Consciousness Conference at the end of September. Today's interview is with one of the speakers I was able to hear. What a fantastic address he gave. His speech was fantastic and then later I was able to have the opportunity to interview him and that was terrific. I've great respect for this guest. He's, he's fantastic. And I want to tell you a little bit about him. He's the professor of pharmacology at the Georgia campus of the Philadelphia college of osteopathic medicine. He graduated from the university of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin with a PhD in pharmacology and a minor in medical science physiology. He's a diplomate of the American Board of Toxicology, and he's also a member of the Society for Neuroscience, Society of Toxology, and American Society for Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics. Wow, it was such an honor to interview this guest. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Dr. Harold Comiskey. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here today in Atlanta, Georgia. We're here at the at the Global Zen Consciousness Conference, and I'm here with Harold Comiskey. And Harold, it's great to have you as a guest on the show. I'm really excited. So thanks very much for being with me today. Well, thank you. This is awesome. Now, Harold, I want to start the interview by asking you, what does mindfulness mean to you?
0: Uh, what they again there it's a type of meditation and what people are trying to do is make you aware of what are you doing because some people just tap into automatic behavior did i close that garage door did i turn the lights off did i lock my front door and you kind of when you go back you can check and you know 90 percent of the time you probably did but you, when you did it, you didn't register that moment of what you were doing. You just did that almost automatic behavior. And we do that so often, and sometimes with age, we do things out of habit. Um, and we find ourselves, wait a minute. Why am I starting to the refrigerator? What was it that I was going to get? <laughs> yeah. and, and so we have these senior moments but again, all of our life, sometimes we we just we have to be aware. And so I think mindfulness is really an effort on part of meditation to get at beyond automatic behavior, registering those events so that we really pay attention to what we're doing, when we're doing it.
1: And I was just in a presentation that you were delivering and you were taking us through some different mind states that we have and you were talking about meditation. Do you meditate? And if you do, tell us about it. What's What's it like in your life?
0: Yes, I, I definitely meditate. Um, I do a couple of different forms. Um, it helps me sleep. So as you get older, it gets harder to sleep. And I just assume not take any uh sleeping medication. And so what I try to do is use energy and they have different forms. And so I years ago, 20 years ago or so, I got into the understanding that the Japanese had a system called Reiki. Mm-hmm. Uh they use it in hospitals. Some of the nurses know it. So it's like a healing energy. So and I was also attending Master Lu uh which they call Sifu now sometimes, uh, his classes in Tai Chi. So I was learning Tai Chi, and I was also, also spending a Saturday morning learning Reiki, which is kind of like a healing energy. So Tai Chi is like a multi-dimensional um, form of energy, um, a, a type of meditation because you're paying attention to uh, movement, at the same time watching your balance. And so you have to really focus on what you're doing or you get lost on really the four and a half or the 24 minute type of Tai Chi you're doing. They have different forms and they get more advanced. You have to be almost a gymnastic to some of it. So you have to focus and be aware of what you're doing. Where Reiki on the other hand, in order to go to sleep, you could turn around and do some motor movements, make these symbols, and actually have healing energy. So I use Reiki to help me fall asleep.
1: So you're a medical doctor.
0: I'm a no. I'm a PhD. Okay, so you're a PhD. You're not a medical I, doctor. I teach medical doctors, but I don't. Or okay. teach medical students. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so when you started doing Reiki, did that? did you kind of feel some fallout? Did did people say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this kind of work?
0: Well, I already had a PhD at the time. So when you ask about fallout, when I first heard about it, I thought, well, I got some time this Saturday morning. I'm going to go to this class on Reiki. It's an energy thing. Did I believe in it? No. And so I go there and they have this teacher who really was a social worker and, um she, she was obviously very skilled at Reiki and other forms of energy uh, down in New Orleans. And I asked her a lot of questions because I didn't believe it. I thought it was all hocus pocus. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I never got this in any medical education. I had taken medical school courses, neuroscience and the kidney with medical students. And I had taught for, by this time, probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had postdocs in the lab, I had technicians in my lab, I had a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of grant money, and I thought, this does not make sense, so I started asking questions, and she was really frustrated by my attitude, so she asked me to stay after class, and uh, man, I had one of the worst gut aches in the world, I mean, my stomach just really hurt, but I stayed there and talked to her, and And uh, so finally she let me go, but she was a little frustrated because I kept quizzing her about, is this really possible? I mean, based on what? Right. You know, because, you know, I came from a science background, which she didn't know at the time. Uh, But actually she was really pretty good. And so I learned the first uh, Reiki 1 and 2 from her and then took it Reiki 3 from another one because she moved before new orleans flooded she said wow. oh new orleans is going to flood so she actually moved out of the area she was living by lake Pontchartrain, and uh, she moved from an area that did flood to higher up in the mountains to the rocky
1: mountains area so she definitely had some insight
0: she sensed that it was going to happen yeah did had she help year. you
1: with your aching gut no i didn't tell her Oh, you didn't tell her about that.
0: No, I was just uh, I'm not telling her a thing, but it was, you know, it was weird.
1: And how long did it take before you came to believe that this had some kind of value?
0: Um, well, I had to put it in perspective. One, I didn't realize how Reiki and Tai Chi compared. Then I had to realize that Tai Chi you had developed multiple energies. It wasn't just one wave. Where Reiki turned out to be really some type of a healing energy developed in Japan, went first, transferred over to Hawaii. They had people, you have to have the master kind of pass it down. And so now the medical community in places that picked it up in hospitals in the United States, they sometimes use it. And um, it helps people. It helped me.
1: So you already did Tai Chi at that point. I was practicing. I was learning the first
0: couple of years. So it takes a while to really pick up Tai Chi and learn well. So I was probably within probably a year of learning both
1: so now you're very experienced with Tai Chi am I right
0: yeah uh, and I cut back some because I have to teach you know 122 medical students I give probably one or two lectures sometimes three or four a week uh, plus uh, really case studies so we do kinda like small group
1: discussions well let's talk about Tai Chi how can we get value out of Tai Chi what does it do for us
0: Okay, so Tai Chi, it'll give you balance because you've got to move with all your weight over one leg at a time. And you've got to synchronize movements of your arms and your legs. We don't walk down the street with a Tai Chi walk. We all have our particular style of walking. And Tai Chi, on the other hand, is really meant for fighting. So you don't put all your weight with one foot in front of the other because then... Like if you were walking a straight line when they're looking for, if you drank too much, if the police pull you over, um, it's hard to keep your balance. So if you're in fighting, you don't want to be in that type of a mode. You don't want to be walking a straight line to somebody that's going to hit you. You want to have your feet spread apart, and not evenly, but at an angle, so you have better balance. So Tai Chi is teaching you how to go forward and backward at an angle, in a fight. So it's it's a martial art hidden, and it's more for defense. And um, so really, the energy that's being developed is really when you hold a Chinese ball. So even though when you do yoga, they both have this breathing. Mm-hmm. You have to. So anytime you move forward in Tai Chi, you have to turn around and breathe out. When you start. Recovering, moving your arms back or backing up, you're, you're actually taking a breath because you're moving away from a fighter or somebody that's attacking you. So you breathe in then. But if you're delivering a punch, you breathe out. Uh, in yoga, if you want to learn meditation, you constantly are breathing in and out heavily, maybe for a few minutes, actually maybe 30 seconds, uh, maybe three times like that. And it it helps you get into a meditation and yoga. They'll have you deep breathe. Uh, In Tai Chi, you'll be doing those movements. If you really want to get a benefit out of Tai Chi, you have to learn to breathe. So for a year, I learned the movements, just like in dance, you try to learn your steps. Mm -hmm. And you have to synchronize the movements. You have to really keep your body at an angle in some of these movements. And so getting the flexibility in your body I was pretty stiff, as most men are. Um, And I didn't know where my legs were. We know where our arms are in the dark even, but our legs, not really. So it took me a while to develop that flexibility and the grace and the balance. I'd say it takes a year for that, but you have to incorporate that breathing, or the Tai Chi is nothing more than exercise.
1: I see. So is it a year twice a week, would you say?
0: Uh, Preferably every day, but... Um, when I first learned that was you know I had uh, Sifu or some people call him Master Lou he's headquartered Mobile Alabama to this day and he's got a couple of sites in Louisiana then he just had one in New Orleans and there was only like five or six of us 20 years ago in New Orleans but he'd come over once a week and then we'd have one of the other senior teachers during the week so he tried to get like Two classes by a senior instructor, and then he'd be over there on the weekends. And so we would get maybe three or four lessons every week. It's better to do it every day, just like it is if you're trying to learn ballroom dance. Of course. It's it's practice makes perfect. But it takes a good year to feel comfortable enough to even learn the first beginner's form of Tai Chi. And it's a very subtle energy. And as long as you do the breathing, you'll pick it up. Did I believe that? No, I didn't even believe that. But you still did it. I did it because Master Lou fixed my shoulder. Oh. I had a frozen shoulder. Ah. So a frozen shoulder is, it's inflamed Uh from too much movement. People can get tennis elbow, they can get frozen shoulder. And they basically have too much continuous activity in that joint. And it just got inflamed. Mm Mm-hmm. And when that inflammation occurs, the nerves start to really hurt. They're inflamed, and you can't
1: move it. So how did he fix it?
0: He knew the acupressure points. So, again, you have to remember, he's, he's been an Olympic coach for America's martial arts teams and also for China's. So he knew Eastern medicine. So he used his thumb and pressured the acupuncture points. He didn't use his needles. He does have needles. But he just used his thumb, pressed harder than I did, and loosened it up and then gradually moved my arm. And I'd say in five minutes, he says, 10. And this was 20 years ago. And I'm right-handed, and I can move that arm. Then, Wow, that's incredible. It was, and he wouldn't take any money. Oh, really? Why wouldn't he take any money? Well, he said, no, you're my student and so he basically fixed my arm and i'm sitting there frustrated like there's nobody in the west that could have done this i mean you could get three steroid shots a a year and it still might not work there are people facing that dilemma they give you three because at three your mind starts to really go and so they stop sometimes less than three um and So at my point, they were saying, you know, you probably have to get a steroid shot, probably have to go to physical therapy. One doctor offered me narcotics for the pain. And I says, no, they're addicting. I teach this stuff. I'm not going to be taking something that's harmful. So I was surprised. He told me to drive over to Mobile. I was in New Orleans. And he says, drive over there tomorrow, and I'll work on it some more. I did drive over, but he was doing a really uh, working with a variety of students all day long. He had different classes. So I just left about 11 o'clock at night, drove back to New Orleans. He never worked on that arm again, but I had total flexibility. I lost a little circulation, and that was it. And he told me that was going to happen. Oh, You must have been but, just amazed. So were the rest of the faculty members, because some of them had, had frozen shoulders or tennis elbows. And they said, no, no, it usually takes a year to get the flexibility
1: back and the use of the arm, and I had total use. So he helped you with Tai Chi, he helped you with breathing, and I'm thinking he probably helped you with meditation. Did did you start doing meditation? Tell us about that. Realize I would
0: have never, you haven't been around a Shaolin monk. They think different from anybody in the West. He, is, he can be real pleasant, as all of us can, at meetings, and he's very graceful. And what you see is that really is him, but they think different. They really have a different mindset. Okay,
1: tell us about that.
0: The only reason I stuck it out, and I was never around a Shaolin monk before, and so he was raised by uh, Shaolin monks. They're the best fighters in the world. Even Putin had his bodyguards fight him, and they lost. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. And they're they're known to be the world's best fighters. So he, he fixed that shoulder, and when he wouldn't take money, I thought, well, how am I going to pay this man for what he did? This, this is phenomenal. I knew no one in the West could have done it because I had physical therapists look at it. I had chiropractors look at it. I had physicians look at it there was nobody that could fix it other than with a shot and that might or might not work as I mentioned so when he wouldn't take any money I said all right I'll sign up for a year and so I signed up for a year and I thought I'm going to bite my tongue some of this stuff I don't accept any more than I accepted that Reiki teacher some of her philosophies at first later I realized it was real and so the only reason I stuck out the year was to pay him. So he said, you know, it cost you a thousand dollars, but you can just pay every month. That's what most of his students do. And I said, No, I'll just pay you for the year. That way I knew he was gonna get the money. And so I thousand dollars to me at the time was worth it. Yeah. Just to have that shoulder working. Well, yeah, I'm sure it was. Because I was teaching and we used chalkboard then and overhead, I had to use my arm. Right. And so it would be a huge just dis- I'm not a good left-hand writer. Ah. And uh, so basically I stayed with him because he fixed the shoulder. And then after a year I realized, to my surprise, the Tai Chi worked. It was really helping, but it was real subtle. And then after a year being with him and I was complaining that, why don't you move me on, you know? And the teachers, the senior instructors told me, hey, Harry, don't complain. He made us do it for two years. He's just making you do it for one. Right, and so I shut my mouth and I stayed with him and then when you did more different types of Tai Chi there was stronger energy you could really feel the positive effects so basically it helped you live with life Mm -hmm. and just a different environment with a person who has ethics and Master Liu has some really strong ethics but when you handle situations um The Shaolin monk has a different way of what's right, what's wrong. Just like different political parties, Democrat, Republican in America, they don't agree on many ways to handle things. Well, people in the West hear a certain way of thinking. Shaolin monks have definitely a different way. They were raised by male figures, very structured, um, excellent fighters, the best in the world and they know energy they can feel a punch coming before you touch them. and so he has all his martial artists learn tai chi so they understand what energy is once you enter through those energy fields he knows the punch is coming he's already got a counter move they're that fast
1: well master lu is also known known as chi de ru right And a couple of other names as well. I interviewed him, and you can find him under Chi Deru, C-H-I-D-E-R-U. He always says he's 32 years old.
0: Yeah, well, he used to tell me he's older than me, and like, you know, I'm turning 70 in three weeks, and so I'm like, like, no, you're not 70. But that's what he claimed. This was, you know, like 15 years ago, you would tell me. Because we tried to figure it out. Yeah, But really doing Tai Chi or ballroom dances, those are your best exercises to prevent aging. So, is he older than I am? He could be. Uh, I met some of his teachers. They were fairly old. I went to China 13 years ago. Uh, actually, maybe longer. But uh, at least 13 years ago, I was there around 2005 or so. And... I met some of the people that were ahead of the Shaolin Monastery. I wanted to see it. I went over there for an international meeting, and I just took a day off with my postdoc, and we went and visited the Shaolin Temple. So I met some of his instructors. Uh, they didn't look that old, but they looked as old as I was. Right. And um, they were tremendous fighters, and but they were like, People worshipped them all. I mean, when we walked around just the area of the Shaolin Monastery, all of a sudden people, 40, 50 people, were following us around with cameras. Ah,
1: fascinating. Well, we were going to talk about meditation. Do you meditate, and what does it look like? What does your meditation look like?
0: Okay, so when I meditate, and when it really seems to work, I see colors. You know, maybe green, maybe yellow, orange, purple. And they kind of flow in and out. Now, Master Lou says, no, you shouldn't see any colors. It should be just empty space, oh. just just emptiness. That's what it should be. Okay. That's what he tells me. But I was talking to a yoga teacher here at Emory, and he has a club. And so he did a meditation. Now, again, all different forms of meditation are different. And when this faculty member from Emory who has the club uh, uh, yoga club which meditates he carried out a meditation as a kind of a favor for the students at our medical school and I saw the colors and so I talked to him afterwards I says okay so I have a Shaolin monk who tells me everything should be empty why do I get colors and he's saying, it shouldn't be. I should really go for an empty space, just everything kind of like black. And he says, no, he says, really, the colors mean those are healing things going on. So I don't know. Uh, but that's what this guy who's done, he was from India, he's done yoga for at least 12, 15 years. And he says, you know, that was his
1: viewpoint. So do you do transcendental meditation? No,
0: no, I really. I really trying to work more into Zen and you know, use it so I try to meditate when I can't sleep, you know, I start using Reiki, doing that. And prayer is a type of meditation. So yes. I was raised Catholic, so I right. I say, you know, Hail Mary and Our Father and stuff. Right. And I try to also anchor my energy down to earth so that you don't know, just get flighty. And the Reiki, once I have it working, it helps me sleep, it gives me a fairly deep sleep. And so I feel refreshed after a cup of coffee in the morning. Right. <laughs> so it does give you a real deep sleep.
1: Well, I want to ask you about a topic that I always ask about and that is the topic of bullying and I always ask a question about you know if you have a story or a situation where you know there was bullying going on and maybe consciousness or mindfulness would have helped with that. Do you have a story for us? Well, yeah, I can tell you one. I live in
0: a fairly uh, actually I have a home in a, in a kind of a conservative area outside of Atlanta. My wife, and I always stay with her, she has a home in Alpharetta. And in Alpharetta, they have this long street. Uh, The street's probably about a mile and a half. And she's, it's kind of like L-shaped. So you go along the ridge in, in Alpharetta, and she's right in like the L part. But before I get there, you have to go for about half a mile to a mile straight road around the ridge. And so she's got a home that's you know 25 years old, and in Alpharetta, these homes are going to run probably about a quarter of a million, mm-hmm. so 250,000. They're 25, 30 years old, so they're getting aged. And but there's one guy who's a fireman, and this guy's probably 50. Mm-hmm. Well, he felt okay. I was driving too fast. Okay. So he pulls out in front of me and one time, this was about two years ago, he pulls out in front and remember I'd been on this, living there with my wife uh, in her home for probably six years. Mm -hmm. And so he pulls out and goes really slow, doesn't want to let me by. I thought, what the heck's this? Well, he left enough space i just drove by him yes and then i gave him the finger okay and he got upset well he came down and started yelling and screaming and i said forget it man and don't step on my yard you're trespassing you know and so he wanted to fight me okay i says no you don't want to fight me i've been around a martial artist and i don't think you want to touch me well yeah he wanted to fight finally he left i says listen if you don't leave i'll call the cops so he left. Then it wasn't long, maybe three, four months later, he again turns around and thinks I'm driving too fast, comes down, starts yelling and screaming. And I said, well, what are you doing, man? You don't, you don't have no right dictating this. And, you know, and he wants to fight about it. And, I, and my wife came out. She says, let's just call the cops. So she calls the cops. And so I didn't want to fight him. I knew he was really in, he'd be in bad shape because right. being around Master Liu, I didn't take kung fu, but I was around him enough. I had learned enough, and he had showed us some moves. And I thought this guy, fireman or not, he's fifty years old. He could get really hurt, and because it would be easy for me to flip him, I had done wrestling in high school. I was captain of the B team. So I thought no this is not smart. So anyway the cops came. They talked to me and then they went up and talked to him. And he says, "Well, I think he's got the message. The troll won't bother you anymore." You know the troll like in the going across the bridge yes. you know, the old nursery rhyme. And uh I thought interesting. But I think if you can resolve it, you know, it's much like uh I mean, I'm not sure how much the Canadians are aware of our Supreme Court down here, but there's another case of bullying where they're trying to railroad a candidate through without any FBI investigation. Yes. And if it wasn't for one of the senators, Jeff Flake, from Arizona coming forth, a Republican, saying, listen, we're splitting the country in half. Let's give these Democrats a chance to have an FBI investigation. Just give it a week. This lady's testimony about the candidate that we want to put on the Supreme Court, we should have the FBI look at it. Make sure that since this is a lifetime appointment, that we're doing the right thing. And I think, you know, this candidate definitely showed bullying tendencies. It was real clear. The last thing you want, you want somebody who's really... Uh, stable, calm, peaceful in different emotional situations because on the Supreme Court, you're making decisions that affects millions of people in the United States. Of course. For 20, 30 years. And he's the swing vote. So, you know, there is a way to resolve bullying. Both cases, if at all possible, don't confront them with a fight. Nobody wins. It doesn't solve a thing. In most cases, I don't think militaries solve much. Some cases you have to defend your country, that's true. But diplomacy, whether it's in one-to-one, somebody who's a bully on your local street or somebody uh, picking for a high court, uh, a lifetime appointment, you need somebody that's stable in these positions. And you don't need a neighbor who's acting like the local cop and no really license, no real authority to do it. And so I think the best way to do it is through diplomacy, if you can resolve conflict.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing those stories with us. You're welcome. (laughs) That's very, very interesting. And interesting to hear your views on this this case that's going on in, in the U.S. right now, because it's certainly getting a lot of airwaves, that's for sure. As we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. I want to ask you, first question is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life?
0: Uh, Master Liu is really getting into it. When I first started to know him, he was really into martial arts and really into Tai Chi. He was in the Tai Chi so much, was just to teach his fighters energy. He knew about energy. He knew if they were going to get good, they had to understand it, but he was really into the sport of fighting. These Shaolin monks are different, even though they're really caring people and he really helps a lot of people. So he's the one that really influenced me a
1: lot. Okay, how has mindfulness helped your emotions?
0: Yeah, I think mindfulness has allowed me to think through things. I mean, do I get upset over certain things? Sure, when that guy confronted me about driving too fast in the neighborhood, He drives just as fast, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't perceive it. But if he sees somebody else, then he thinks they're driving too fast in his neighborhood. I'm like, wait a minute. It's hard sometimes for people to put themselves in others' position. And that would be my answer.
1: I want to know how breathing is part of your mindfulness, because I know that's a big part of Tai tai Chi. Yeah,
0: breathing to really
1: get it to work. I mean, I did the Tai
0: Chi movement. I learned the leg movements, the foot placement, the arms. I synchronized them, but I wasn't feeling the energy. It was only after I put the breathing with it. So you not only have to synchronize arm, legs, body with the movements, you had to turn around and stand upright and you had to breathe appropriately. You know, breathing when you're pushing forward and when you're really relaxing, you know, really start to breathe in. So breathe out, moving forward, breathe in when you get a chance to relax. Um, Those help, the same thing's true with yoga. Breathing's very important. Breath with things, whether it's from India, like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong
1: over in China, You have to use breath. For sure. And tell us about a book. Is there a book that you could recommend that is somehow related to mindfulness? Mm.
0: I don't know. I think there are several um, that different people, I think if you look it up, you'll find ones that are indicated. But now you want to still go to the recent articles that are really into like Zen meditation, Mm -hmm. which is a little more involved. I think it's easy to get mindfulness Uh, that's kind of like a starter. Yes. And so as you progress, and even yoga, some of the yoga ones are different types of yoga. There are different types of Qigong. Those are all kind of like beginners. You start out, even Tai Chi 24 is your first one you learn. But there are probably 100 different types of Tai Chi, 100 different types, 150 maybe, of, of Qigong. The more advanced ones, the energy is more intense more skills are involved uh, especially physical skills and so the energy that you generate uh, in turkey they have the whirling derbies Uh, so there are different ways to really generate energy and uh,
1: breathing is very critical in all these is there any app that you use or that you would recommend to somehow help you with your mindfulness I think what I'll watch more now in the, in the future,
0: uh, I've got mindfulness down because usually you know, you're know, you paying attention to a sound, a picture, your breathing. Right. Uh, they focus on that. And with aging uh, turning 70, the risk of Alzheimer's starts going up. Um, my dad had post-traumatic stress from World War II, and he definitely was deteriorating. And I think I think meditation would have helped him, but he used prayer. And prayer is a type of meditation. Um, So I think it allows people to escape what's going on and de-stress a little bit and gives them really some peace, some calmness. And so I think mindfulness does that. But then I think if you start incorporating more motor movements with it, like Tai Chi, moving, that really affects more of the mind. So the types of meditation that would prevent things like Alzheimer's, which do seem to work, is ones that turn around and you're paying attention to a tone. They might give you a tone like ma or my or da. Some, and you have to constantly say it, and you have to hold your fingers in a certain way, you know, like maybe uh, index finger with your thumb or so. Right. And say this sound and... Also kind of move your arms a little bit. So you're really affecting more areas of your brain, motor, sensory, hearing. Uh, The more you can get your different senses activated, um, the more likely you can prevent some of the Alzheimer's. Other things that can help are like ballroom dance where you have to pay attention to the sound, stay with the rhythm, you have to lead a dance. You have to learn to use your right and left foot. You have to rise and fall with the dance. And so to keep that rhythm, and the same things with Tai Chi, you have rhythm. And so the more advanced you go, you can get more skillful. There are many types of ballroom dance, too.
1: Well, it's great you're giving us these tips because we're all growing older. I mean, we're, we're noticing that there's so much more attention on Alzheimer's and dementia because our population is growing older and we do and need to And the drugs older. don't work. And the drugs don't work. Well, you said it right here. Okay, well, this is it. I know that they don't have a lot of drugs that really help. They're developing them. They are really,
0: you know, and I work on the same field. I'm trying to develop something that'll work. But at this point in time, to prevent it, you can take care of your heart, you can sleep, you can try to de-stress, and a good way to do it is using meditation. Right. But if you can do meditation with a little motor movements like Tai Chi, that's a
1: bigger help to prevent something like Alzheimer's or Parkinsonism especially. Well, that's, that's great to hear it from you. And, you know, I'm honored that you agreed to do this interview. It's just wonderful. And I always ask my guests uh, where we can connect with you. And I already talked before we started the interview that you don't really have a a website or a place where listeners can connect, but, but that's okay because we've connected here and it's been a fantastic interview. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming on mindfulness mode. So thanks very much, Harold. Bye now. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show the release your overwhelm guided meditation for $4.99. Abandon your inner blocks, surrender your stress, and become more focused with the calming sound of the waves and reminders about how you can release your blocks that are holding you back. Download this full-length 30-minute guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com release. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.